you to a special episode of the Last Things Podcast. Since I did not record last week, I wanted to make, make up for it. So this is going to be a special second video. We're going to go ahead on. Last video, we did Smyrna, which was the persecuted church. To, today, we're going to go ahead on and go right into Pergamos. That is the compromising church. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles. We're still in Revelation chapter 2. But let's go down to verse 12. And, and uh, of course, I'm going to be reading it out of the New Living Translation. So my translation is going to sound different if you have King James. So let's read. Let's do read. So we'll read it first, and then we'll go back and break it down. Okay. Revelation chapter 12 says, that, um, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Sometimes you, we say Pergamum. Sometimes we say Pergamum. Per game us, they're both the same. We it's we switch them in and out. So if I say per per if I say pergamum, I'm saying pergamum. If I'm saying per game us, I'm saying the same thing. So but I just want to get that out there. Okay. This is the message from the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. This is what Jesus said, and this is what he says. I know that you live in the city where that great throne of Satan is located, and yet you have remained loyal to me, and you refuse to deny me even when Anipus, my faithful witness, was martyred among you by Satan's followers, and, you, and yet I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you who are like Balaam, who show Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to worship idols by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In the same way, you have some Nicolaitans among you, people who follow the same teaching and commit the same sins. Repent, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who is willing to hear should, li should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone who is victorious will eat of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven and on the stone. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now. Let's look at Pergamos or Pergamum, and let's do some mm, historical factors of it. Pergamum was located in the Cacus Valley. It was 50 miles north of Smyrna. That's important. It, it's somewhat important. Why? Because remember I said the order of each church, of the order of the seven churches, John has to walk. So when he reached Ephesus, then he went to Smyrna. After Smyrna, then he reached Pergamum. After Pergamum, then Thyatira, and so on and so on and so on. So this right here confirms what we said, that that in the particular order that John would have to walk. So this is 50 miles north of Smyrna and about 15 miles inland from the Aegon Sea. Now, during the reign of King Eumenes II, art and literature were encouraged and the city was known to have a library of about 200,000 books. Excuse me, man. 
That's a big library. They had a but and they also had an altar to Zeus that was 40 feet in high. So of all the altars and structures, judging by the size of this one, this one was the most important thing important to them. Now, Smyrna was a rival city to Pergamos and, and became the political center. Smyrna became the political center. Pergamos, Pergamos was later named the capital of, a prof of the province. Once they came under the Roman, under the uh, Roman Empire. They weren't under Roman Empire before, but once they became under, once they came under the Roman Empire, they were named the capital and the capital and became known as the religious center. So Samaria, Samaria, Smyrna is known as the political center, and now Pergamus is known as the religious center. Now today. Pergamus is known as Bergama, B-E-R-G-A-M-A. -A. So I'm going to leave that Bergama for you and let you research it, but that's what it's known as today. Now, let's look at the scripture. Now, this, this, this particular passage is not very long, just four scriptures like uh, Smyrna. So let's look at it real quick. Let's look at his intro. Uh, verse 12. And of course, if we notice, it's written in red. So the first thing we know, Jesus is speaking. He says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, what's the two-edged sword? We already, if we look at Hebrews, let's look at, let's do it this way. Let's look at Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. It says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest, what? Two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. He, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So, so remember what I said? He introduces himself. And how Jesus introduces himself is how it relates to the problem that's in the church. So let's pay let's pay pay close attention to that to his intro because it's got it, it's gonna come back. We're gonna come back to that intro. Now let's look at verse thirteen. I know that you live in a city where that great throne of Satan is located, and yet you have remained loyal to me. Now, Jesus said this, the throne of Satan is located in this city. Now, can we take him figuratively, can we take his meaning literally or figuratively? Could Satan's throne actually be there? It very well could be. What could, could what he, what he could mean is there's more evil in this city going on than anywhere else as well. So we really don't know, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take him in his word and say Satan's throne is really there. Remember what the Bible said. What it the Bible says Satan goes to and fro seeking whom he may devour. God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. Satan is not there. So it's, it's very well possible that Satan has a throne that's right there in purple. It's very possible. Now as we talk about what, um, as we talk about maybe the e all the evil that was going on, this is what they had. They had altars set up for Athena, Caesar, Augustus, 
Hadron, and Zeus, just to name a few. So there's a lot going on. So not only could Satan have a temple there, have his throne there, but his control over that city was second to none. He had total control. But the Christians that were there did not let that face them. They continued to still serve God. They did not bow down to worship other idols. They did not, they did not do the things that God told, commanded them not to do. They continued to pray. They continued to keep God first. And that was what and that was very important. That's what Jesus was trying to get through. Now, let's keep going. Now, let's keep going. He said this, and you refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred. Now, what do we know a martyr is? A martyr is somebody who dies for their beliefs. So we know this man died. So who is Antipas? Antipas, from what I've researched, was a personal disciple of Apostle was uh, John the Apostle. He was actually made bishop over the church of Pergamum by John during Nero's reign. Remember I talked about Nero in the last video? During Nero's reign. Now, he was burnt. Now, the research said he was burned alive in a bull-shaped altar at the Apollyon Temple for, for not renouncing for not renouncing Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus meant when he said he was my faithful witness. That means he witnessed to Christ and it cost him his life. Remember what I talked about in the last video. We have to make a stand for God and sometimes it could cost us our lives. This man, Antipas, made a statement, made, made a stand, and it cost him his life. And he died a brutal way, burned alive in a, inside of a bull. That's a brutal way to go brutal way, but he didn't care. He said, I'm still going to confess who Jesus is. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to confess who he is until the day that I die. So remember when the Bible said in Smyrna, we cover, we say he won't be hurt by the second death. He will receive the crown of life. Anipus would did not die. I mean, he, he died, but he will not experience the second death. And he has the crown of life that Jesus said in Smyrna because of what he's going through. But he also has another, well, he has that reward, but he also has the reward that Jesus gives. And we're going to come back to that a little later, okay? Now, let's look at verse 14 through 15. And yet I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you who are like Balaam, who showed Balak, Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to worship idols by eating food, by eating food offered to idols, and by committing sexual sin. In the same way, you have some Nicolaitans among you, people who follow the same teaching and commit the same sins. Remember what I told you in Ephesus? I said, pay attention to Balak. Pay attention to Balak and Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Why? I said, because we're going to hear about them again. If you didn't catch the last video, uh, the Ephesus video where I talked about them, you can read Numbers chapter 22 through 31. Last video, I said 22 through 34, but read Numbers chapter 22 through 31, and it goes into great detail about how Balak wanted to curse Israel, and so he went to get Balaam, who was a prophet. He was willing to pay Balaam, so God told Balaam, he said, you only say what I tell you to say. 
four times he went to try to curse the children of Israel. And four times he ended up pronouncing a blessing for them. And in the end, Balak never paid Balaam. So he never paid him because he was so angry about it. He said, I told you to pronounce a curse over them, not to bless them. You blessed them four times. So you won't get any money. So he, he put money before God. Now, remember the Nicolaitans. There's not a lot of history on them. But what did Jesus say about them? He said, people who follow the same teaching as Balaam and Balak and commit the same sins. He said, the people who follow the doctrine of Balaam are or the Nicolaitans follow the doctrine of Balaam. So they follow the same thing. They do the same things. The same things Balaam did. Jesus said the Nicolaitans are doing this, do the same thing. Now, notice what Jesus said. He said, I didn't, he didn't hate the Nicolaitans. He hated the doctrine. He said, I hate the doctrine. You know, the Bible says, love the sinner, hate the sin. And that's what Jesus was doing. He loved the sin. He loved the sinner, but he hated the sin. He hated what they were doing. So let's look at verse, verse 17. Now, this is very important. Verse 17. And this is so funny. I laughed at this one. I, I laughed when I read this. Verse 17 says this. No, I'm sorry. We are skipping a whole verse. Verse 16, please forgive me. Repent or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword in my mouth. Now, we already know the sword represent the sword in, in, in his mouth represents the word of God. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with you with the word of God. And what did the word say? What did, the, what did, what did Hebrews 4 and 12 say about the word of God? It's alive. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's alive and powerful, cutting between soul and spirit. That's a sword you don't want no problems with, right? Now, remember when I said read Numbers and go all the way to number and go to all the way to chapter 31? Numbers chapter 31, verses 6 through 8, talks about what happens to Balaam. Notice what, and this is the funny part. I'm telling you, I tell people all the time, God has a sense of humor. Sometimes it's, I, I say, <laughs> this is my exact words. I say, God has a twisted sense of humor, but he has a sense of humor. This is what's so funny about that. Remember how G Jesus said, I'm going to fight you with a sword in my mouth. Um, I, I, I have a two-edged sword. Why are we talking about swords so much? Jesus said he's going to fight against this church with the sword. And he talked about Balaam. Why is that important? Because in Numbers chapter 31, verse 6 through 8, it talks about Balaam. And it talks about what happened to Balaam. And what happens? Balaam was killed with a sword. Jesus said, I'm going to, the same weapon the same, the, the, the weapon that Balaam was killed with was with a sword. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with you with another sword, a sword much sharper than what killed Balaam. But I'm going to use a sword nonetheless. I, I laughed. I said, oh my God, I laughed when I read that. I said, wow, 
he said, he's, he's, saying, he's in essence saying, I'm going to use the same weapon that killed Balaam. I said that, I tell y'all, God has a twist, a, a sense of humor. And I laughed when I read that. I laughed so hard when I read that. But let's keep going. We're almost through. Now, we're at verse 17. He switches. He had a message for the individual church, but now he switches. Now he's talking to, listen to what he says. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the spirit and understand what the spirit is saying to the churches. Now he's addressing the individual person. Now he's not addressing the church. Now he's addressing the person. This is the compromising church. So what is he saying? We have a tendency, this is to a person who might take the world and take the church and try to mold them together as one. You know, one thing that irritates me so much, I go to, I've been to some churches and some of these churches I go to, they had a nerve to have a smoke machine on stage. And they say the smoke machine is supposed to represent the Holy Spirit. So you got a smoke machine on the stage. You got the strobe lights roaming on the stage. Am I in a church or I'm in a club? The church should never, you know, the church should never, the church in the world should never be co-mingling in those. We should never take the, the things that the world is doing and implement them in God's house. No, God's house is God's house. What does the Bible say? Be ye holy for I am holy. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. So we should not be doing things. The world's activities should never be influencing the church. If we shouldn't be doing things that the world is doing in God's house, no, we have to keep God's house holy. We can't do those things. And that's what Jesus is saying. Keep God's house as it's meant. Remember when Jesus walked in, walked into God's house? I think it's in Matthew. And what did he do? They had all these different things going on in this house. And Jesus did what? He went in there kicking over tables. He said, y'all have turned this house into something that it's not meant to be. And that's what sometimes we're doing. We're taking God's house and we're turning it into something that it's not meant to be. And then we wonder why, you know, when you go to church, you should leave one way and come out a different way. You should leave. You should come back refreshed and strengthened. And we wonder why the church don't have no power because we're too busy mingling the world's We're too busy doing things. We're too busy bringing the world into the church when that shouldn't be happening. The church should be going into the world to save people and to evangelize. The world should not be coming into the church and then the church is copying some of the world's antics or doing some of the things that the world is doing. No, it should not be happening. That's why Jesus said he's fighting them with the word of God. As long as you keep the word of God prevalent, he said, I'm going to use the word to fight this battle. And that's, and that's so important. So he's saying, for those of y'all who are compromising, who are using the world's, no. He said, don't use the word, the world, no. You keep it holy. It's God's way or no way at all. So you use the word of God to influence, to, to, in, to see how things are supposed to be. You, you, you use the word of God to do things the way in an orderly manner, do things the way God intended it to be. 
So it's important, so for those of us, so for those of you who might be compromising, trying to mix God with the world and mix the world with the church, Jesus said no. He said no. Keep ye hope, keep the house of God what it's meant to be, the house of God. The world should not be influencing it. He said, that's why he said, I'm going to fight it with the word of God. Now, let's look at this. And we're, all, we're almost through. We're still at verse 17. He said, everyone who is victorious will eat of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Now, in Exodus chapter 16, uh, it's the story of Moses when the children of Israel were walking or in the wilderness, I believe. And they didn't have any food. They were complaining. We could have died in Egypt because at least we would have been full. So the Lord, so God causes it to rain manna, which, which we, manna from heaven. Now, what they did is they took some of the manna, they took some that was left and put it in the altar for future generations to see that God had provided for them. It's in Exodus chapter 16, if you want to read it. Now, John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said this. He is, Jesus said, you know what? Let, let, me, let me flip to it real quick. Let's flip to it real quick. John chapter 6, because I want to make sure we get, get it right. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be, who comes to me will ever be hungry again. So Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. The hidden manna that's found, that he said, the hidden manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Remember what I said, what I said about the, the manna, it was hidden in the ark. Jesus said, I'm the bread of heaven. And where is he? He's hidden away in heaven. He said, if you eat, if you come to me, you will never hunger again. So what he's saying, you'll never hunger for anything else spiritually. That's what he's saying. He's talking about a spiritual hunger because you know how some of us, we hunger for God's word. We hunger to grow. Jesus said, you'll never hunger spiritually again. That's what he's saying. And now let's keep, let's, let's, um, let's wrap this up. He said, and I will give to each one a white stone and the white stone will it be engraved a new name that no one will know except the ones who receive it what's the white stone in john's day when they had court cases they would cast a white stone they would let's go first let's do this first they would cast a black stone if you're guilty and they would cast a white stone if you were innocent. Now, if we're going by the same logic, that means that when God stands, when you stand before a judgment, when God is judging the world and he comes and he judges you, Jesus said, you'll be innocent. Now, remember why it's important because God is the judge. And what happens? Satan is there in heaven as well. Accuser of the brethren day and night. So Satan will be the prosecutor, Jesus will be the defense, and God will be the judge. And the jury, when they vote, Jesus say, you're going to be found innocent. You'll be found innocent. 
And this is what he said. And he and on that white stone will be engraved a new name that no one will know except the one who receives it. So he said, I'm going to give you a white stone. You're going to be found innocent. And not only will you be found innocent, I'm going to give you a new name that's going to be engraved on that stone. And you'll be the only one who knows what that means. Why is that important? Because Jesus is saying the relationship that we have, it's, it, it, it will be unlike anyone else's. Our relationship will be very different and not different, but it, 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 it'll be unique than everyone else's. Me and you will have our own personal relationship. That's why he said, only you will know what this name is. I'm going to give you a name that only no one knows what it means but you. He's saying our relationship will be so unique in that way. You won't, everyone won't be able to access me to me like you. Everyone won't, we, we, our relationship will be unique in every way imaginable. That's what Jesus is saying to our overcome. So when I said that word about Anipus, about how he had the crown of life because he was persecuted and martyred, absolutely that's true. But absolutely I believe as well. When he stands before God, it's just, when he's judged before God as everyone else, in the end, he's going to be found innocent. And he won't hunger spiritually. And he'll have a name that only he will know what it means. That's just awesome. That's just, a, I tell you, man, God is so good and faithful. But guys, that is it for the Church of Pergamum. So this is what I want to do. I want to offer salvation to you, as we always do. We end every video offering salvation. Because we want you to make, we want you, we want you to be found innocent when you stand before God. Because you're going to stand before God. And we want you to be found innocent. So this is what I want you to do. Bow your head, close your eyes, and pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you died for my sins and that you were buried and that you rose three days later and that you now sit at the right hand of God interceding on my behalf. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me, shape me, and mold me into the person that you want me to be. I am your vessel. My life is now in your hands. I submit to you. In the name of Lord Jesus, I pray and thank you. Amen. Guys, we're going to believe that if you prayed that prayer, your salvation is secure. And we believe that the church is rapture. Jesus is coming. You're going, Jesus is going to come for you if you were to die. We believe your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we believe that when you stand before God yourself, you will be found innocent and you will have your own unique relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Guys, I love you guys. Thank you so much. And I'm asking, please be patient with me. And please forgive me for the slow uploads and the content. That will not happen again, guys. We just have a lot going on. Whenever you're doing for God, the enemy always comes around. So, guys, I love you. Our next episode is going to be the church in Thyatira. And, man, I, if you thought Pergamum was bad, this church here, oh, my God, that's all I'm going to say. 
yeah, they got some stuff going on. And man, the way and uh and the way Jesus is gonna deal with them, man, he wasn't playing no games with them, guys. He wasn't playing with them at all. So we're gonna that's our next episode, guys. Thyra Tower. So that's three episodes, Smyrna Park. Three churches down, four more to go. Yep, so we're getting closer to the end of the seven churches, guys. Three down, four more to go. Guys, I love you. Have a blessed one. And I'll see you back next week with another fantastic episode of the Last Things Podcast. Be, be blessed. <laughs>